Hey everybody, welcome to the Decipher the Media podcast, podcast where we talk about everything in the realm of creative media. Um, it's been a while since, uh, again, since I've done an episode. Um, unfortunately, because of the uh, circumstances of the world, I haven't been able to interview as many people, so I've been kind of uh, thinking of ways to um, release content while uh, the situation in the world normalizes. So um, while that's all going on, I uh, kind of cut together a best of um, sort of uh, episode. Um, this episode, we are focusing on filmmaking. Uh, I uh, dug through some of my earlier episodes um, where I had spoken to some filmmakers um, to thematically keeping it within um, our talks about mostly the feature film Body Farm was a uh, a big subject early on. So I uh, pulled all those uh, interviews from earlier on when it was very focused on Body Farm and kind of stripped them down to uh, basically words of advice that any filmmaker could take and can take away from it. Um, so this is sort of the summation of you know, some, some words of wisdom that, uh, you might be looking for if you're, if you are working in the, the film industry or, uh, you're an indie filmmaker, um, working on projects on the side, whatever the case may be. Um, hopefully this can help you out in some way, um, getting advice from people who have done this sort of thing and, uh, what they've taken away from it. Um, so a lot of great people that, uh, I've had on in the past, um, a lot of good experiences from various perspectives, including, you know, the many roles on filmmaking, such as acting, directing, producing, um, anything along the subjects of how do you get a budget together? Um, where do you find locations for a shoot? Um, those are other subjects that we've, uh, we've touched upon. Um, so hopefully this is, is all good advice for you and hopefully you can take this and, um, give back to the community in using this. So, uh, without further ado, um, this is Decipher the Media, episode number 14 um, The Pearls of Wisdom in Filmmaking. This film, Body Farm, initially it was 2007, I wrote it, and basically what happened was, you know, for seven, eight years, it sat on the shelf and did nothing. So, uh, I originally had just got a, like a small crew together was like, let's do the first 12 pages of the film, um, and make that into like a short and use that to try to make like a Kickstarter campaign or like, you know, a campaign that would allow us to, you know, generate funds in another way to make the whole film. Um, that obviously, uh, wasn't something that we ended up doing. We made the first 12 pages and then Nick was playing one of the characters in the film, and I basically, him being on set, he just sort of, it sort of happened organically, where you just kind of, I, after we were done, I just asked him, I said, do you want to direct this? And he was like, if you want me to, I'm in. And that's a big commitment, though. <laughs> but I don't think we really knew what we were going to get into. We didn't have a time frame. We didn't really know what we were going to do as far as when the end game was going to be. So here we are, two and a half plus or two, a little over two and a half years later. Yeah, one of the one of the big things that we told people when we brought them on is 
hey, this is going to be a process that takes a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, we're funding this ourselves, um, and we are shooting one, maybe two days a month, and that's 20 days of production instead of taking all that and putting it into two or three, four weeks at a time, we put everything in a spread out time frame. We did one or two days a month. We found our locations. One of the big things when I first read the feature script that was 115 to 120 pages was I talked to Brandon. I'm like, we need to pare this down. We need to make this for our budget. And so we went through and... Um, we looked and we combined characters. We worked on many things. Um, one of the big things that we did is we pared down um, characters, combined some, worked to get the script to about 75 or so pages. And that gives us right now, we've seen five, five full screenings of the film and we're at an hour and 15 minutes. I mean, we Hollywooded a little bit up, a little as they call it. You know, you doctor up a couple scenes and things like that, and we cheat shots and do what we have to do. Um, a lot of the rooms and stuff, although they, they might look gigantic on film, you know, is a lot of... when that And that goes to kudos to you, Kroner, and, and Tim, and, and Nick, for you guys, you know, making making a lot of the stuff that's in front of the camera look unique and look bigger than it can be or bigger than it actually is. But we, you know, I feel like on our set, though, you wouldn't even really know we were filming a horror horror movie with the amount of, like, upbeat and fun... Like we had like a really good, we had a really, we all meshed really well together, and there was a lot of laughing, and there's so many outtakes of like random things. I think one of the big things, just in my, well now like twelve, thirteen years of doing film-related work and activities and things like that, is one of the biggest things is on the most serious, bloody sets, you tend to have the most fun because mm. something needs to break the tension, um, and with all of that and done a lot of horror films um those tend to be the bloodier the the funnier uh while behind this behind the camera and so that that's one thing that we can say confidently about mm. our movie is we had a lot of fun making it you know we don't have uh, you know a brad pitt in our film obviously we don't have someone that carries the movie you know the, these characters a lot of us we are going off of what we know i mean and and a lot of us there's a lot of I mean, we have a lot of great you know, great guys that are, and, and women as well that are in this film that do an amazing job. Um, we've even had to reach and, and ask Nick's wife to, to, to play, a, play a role. Our, our friend Brett Hollibaugh played a role in it. Um, <laughs> but we had some bigger Pittsburgh actors as well. Dave Petty, Tom Murth. Um, John Iwanahue. I always uh, have a hard time with that last name. I can never pronounce it. <laughs> Dave Ogardowski. Uh-huh. Dave um, is awesome. So Jenny Bushnell. Those, those yes. actors helped fill out the ensemble that uh-huh. made Body Farm. And uh, one thing that when we looked at that script that really drew me into it when Brandon first said, hey, here's, here's my script, let's make this into a feature, one of the big things that I saw was like, there are a ton of characters here that we can make something out of. We can tell a story with a bunch of um, unique, eclectic, different types of people. Right. Um, and that's what draws me in. And, and we were able to take those characters, hopefully... And tell a streamlined story that you connect with. You have a whole bunch of different people that hopefully you either relate to or you just find to be fun performances to watch. Because we had some of the best people that I've ever had the chance to work with. I mean, that are just, you know, and obviously there's there's only so much money that can go around because it's such a low budget horror film. A lot of people were, you know, driving such long distances and stuff, and like you have. 
a crew that you know, when you have bare bones minimum when it comes to, to your finances, we had people that went above and beyond expectations. I mean, we had we had PAs playing extras. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. We put our one production assistant through four or five hours of makeup <laughs> and, uh, for him to sit on a cold steel table. Uh, Luke. Yeah. And uh, oh, yeah. just yeah. A, for a fun time and, and people, we were hoping like these, what over the course of two years, what became a crew in, in a in a, a job or pseudo job, however you want to phrase it, we became mm. this like weird gel of experience. But it was trying. It was very trying for at times because you, you, you people are working regular jobs. They're they're you know this is something we were doing on Saturdays and Sundays, and that's people's weekends off. You know, and, and one fact, week one weekday shoot we shot on a Wednesday night. What, oh, was yeah. what was that? We did a interior green screen van yeah, shoot. Green screens. Ah, yes, that's right. In my backyard with a thirty foot green screen <laughs> and a big white van. And, and it was really, really windy that night. I remember. But yeah, John Gallagher, there. kudos to him for standing there with the lights. Yeah, yeah. He was our producer, <laughs> our, the, our producer John stands. Gallagher has two light stands in hand, sitting in <laughs> a lawn chair, just taking in the wind as his cheeks flap. You know, going to the West Virginia State Penitentiary and shooting in there um, with a crew of. That day we had, 20, we had our 30, we had twenty. I don't even thirty three. I think total with extras, behind the scenes crew, makeup artists, grips, yeah. camera yeah. people, every a technical expert there that we that we brought on from the prison itself. Chuck Gent. We were so we got so many like well established, really good professional young filmmakers that, that it's just been completely surreal that we had that we got this lucky to have such a great group of people. I although I, I when I wrote this script I never in a million years imagined that this was what it was gonna be like and it's been so cool that I still like get chills thinking about all of the people that, that partook in this. You know, we had so much going on and so many things and people had four or five jobs at a time. I mean, we didn't, you know, there wasn't like we had a budget for a crew of 300 people. I mean, there's some things that go on that require certain efforts and stuff. Um, you know, Steve, you and Tim and, and, and Nick, obviously you guys got on the same page with doing some of those things. One that, of the, one of the, my favorite parts of the entire two year process was sending Brandon that subtle text message or email. Hey Brandon, we need this. <laughs> He's like, uh, do we really need that? It just cost us. I'm like, yeah, 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 we, yeah need we need that. But in Nick's defense, he has had the uncanny ability to save me so much when it comes to sets. He's very good at picking sets, though, that I'm entirely too tall for. But he he still uses lenses <laughs> and the cameras necessary to, to make it work. Um, there's a lot of just trust me, Brandon. And honestly, in the end, after editing everything, I, I do. I trust, you know, Dave Major, another guy, our sound guy. Like, I, I you, you have to just trust in people and, like, you know... As time would go on, you know, you learn their styles and you get used to it and you listen to them and you, you know, it, it, again, I hate using this word, but organically it started to come together. By the time we were finished shooting, I was like, wow, this, this is awesome. Like it just was getting better and better. But, you know, Nick did, honestly, I, there was, there was times where I wanted to buy stuff and Nick's like, don't even bother. Don't even bother. We can do this <laughs> and we can adjust this and, and you can do it for that much cheaper. Filmmaking is so bizarre in that sense that although what you might see with your naked eye as opposed to what you see with a lens can be completely different. Mm. I, I, I will say overall, working with this crew helped us in, in taking the experiences I've had on other films and, and their experiences and sort of mm. meshing all of those together. Um, brought this to where it is. Mm -hmm.
We had to, hey, you got to make, that's the thing about filmmaking, though. You you have to improvise and find, you know, your best case scenario, what you can use. I mean, like I said, luckily, it was one of the situations where we were able to build, build a, you know, a set directly into Nick's basement. We built two into mine. Like, it just, to pay for permits or to pay to, to film at a certain location or just to obtain a certain location is mm. really difficult to do. That I've learned that now as a filmmaker. Like, you know, we're not. Two sets in my basement. I just remembered. We used the brick wall in my garage. Yes, that's right. We yeah. needed hallway shots. Yeah. Figured it out. And again, oh, this is another day where I'm staring, watching, looking at the set, like them prepping everything. I was like, this isn't going to work. There's no way it's going to work. And then I watched it on film. I'm like, this definitely works. Well, it, I, I, I guess what, what I was getting at with all of that is that we've worked at, there's so many different settings and so many different, like, I mean, I, I just was watching some of the behind the scenes stuff from our, we have a lot of security cam shots in this film. And there's one where, Kroner, you were walking out in the middle of like the field by yourself and it's just windier than hell. And there's snows coming down, and like you could see the look on your face, and it was just like, you know, I mean, it was a it was a miserable day to be filming. I think Tori was sick that day. Yeah, yeah. my wife was had a some sort of sinus infection going on, and you wouldn't we, know it. We put her in twenty degree weather, <laughs> and uh, the snow came down, set the scene beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was a lot of there's a lot of times though where you work as filmmakers that you have to quote unquote make do. Yeah, we're in the middle of nowhere in <coughs> Hopewell Township. Yeah. And up on top of this hill, and the snow's just falling, and she's sick. Mm-hmm. The crew is bundled to all hell. To, it, it was and uh, not hell, to a tundra. But uh, yeah, it was it was cold. I mean, it was miserable, and we had we had a we had a guy who had to lay on on ground in uh, freezing cold for yeah. four hours. Got an inner ear infection. Sorry, Brian. Sorry, Brian. Uh, <laughs> I want to fill the theater. I want people to see this. Yeah. I want to see the people who have supported us to see it. And that's mm-hmm. the biggest goal for this, for us. Yeah. And the, the most important part is that we get it done right. And when we do, the, everybody that has worked so hard on it. And we have lots of friends and family that want to see it as well. Um, I have none. <laughs> Nick doesn't have any friends and family. He's I have family and no friends. <laughs> but we do. We want, we want to make sure that we get everybody in the seats and be able to see what we've done. And we hope that they enjoy it as much as we have, you know, in the last two and a half years of just working on it. I mean, oh, definitely. Been, yeah. Has that been like a bit of a learning experience for you to kind of do this? Completely. Yeah. I didn't know. There was things you taught me, things you taught me. I didn't even know. There, there was just a lot of different like terminology too. I mean, in you oh, know, yeah. you're you have different lenses and like we use the Canon. Is it a sixty or a five D? A sixty. Yeah. Okay. So we use the Canon sixty sometimes too. Yeah, we had two going at once at mm-hmm. one point. But like, I looked at the camera when it first came in, and I'm like, "Wait, this isn't what's supposed to what a film camera's supposed to look like." Oh, it's is? it's not at all a film camera. It's a well, it's a, it's a DSLR, but it can you know it shoots well enough that you can you guys get good you, you guys nailed it with the yeah. right lenses. I mean, and I, it, it was it just I learned so much from it. Like this has just been such a unique experience. One of the things that I've learned um, through working in this community is you don't need all the most expensive equipment to make a good movie. Right. Um, really, all you need is a knowledge and you know a good crew that under that connects well, understands, you know, your vision. Right. And what you know what you want to bring to life, and if if you have all those pieces put together, I mean, you can still make a good good film without having a a huge budget. You know, renting out all these, you know, these big cameras and you know lights and all that stuff. So. Absolutely. One of the one of the big things that Brandon and I talked about when we were sitting down trying to figure out how to do this was like, how are we going to do it camera wise? 
um, how are we going to figure out our budgets? We don't have a budget for a red. We don't have a budget for a black magic. We don't have those that aspect of it. How are we going to make that work? And when we sat down and discussed it, what came out was story. We're, we're going to make this work, hopefully, through the story that we're telling. Right. And if that means shooting it on an iPhone 5 at the time, or 4, I don't <laughs> even know the time frame it's been so long. But regardless of what the actual technology is, if you tell a story, if you have good sound, if you've create, created engaging visuals, right. have cool characters. I mean, ultimately, to me, I think that's the biggest strength of Body Farm is there are so many cool characters. Everybody has their own little idiosyncrasies that right. you can connect to or you can connect to or you can connect yeah. to. And I remember when I wrote the script too, there was somebody that I met with that was like, you need to make these characters likable. And he kept stressing that to me over and over and over again. Like, what mm -hmm. is it about these characters that make you want to like them and make you want to care about them? And I feel like, you know, writing-wise, sometimes you don't always get it until that actor gets on set and really makes it happen. You know, we're all... All the characters have just been so much d different. I mean, even the three main characters are all completely different people, but they get along and they interact well together, you know, on film. Um, you know, at least the way it's been cut, it looks that way. <laughs> to um, us, to, yeah. to the tw 12 people that have seen the, the test screenings, pacing means everything in the indie film world. And I've watched so many films that even I've been a part of that it's just like, where is this going? Mm -hmm. um, I, I've lost a lot of my life on Fearnet when it existed. Uh, and, uh, and they had some good ones, though. Yeah, Santa's Sleigh with Bill Goldberg. Uh, yes. And there's a lot of great... There's a lot of films on it. You're just like... Yeah, you, Santa rides an oxen. But you can't help uh, but say, I'm going to at least watch the first No, and I watched it all. Like, <laughs> my whole thing is, I've committed to everything. I will commit to a movie 100%. The only movie that I've ever shut off on the first viewing was Time Machine, but that's a story for another day. Um, but the one thing, even losing all those days of my life watching Fearnet is pacing. And I think with Body Farm, we've established something that goes very quickly. Um, I peaked the mic there, sorry. Uh, it's yeah. fine. And uh, You'll be snapping your fingers at me. I just, I snap. It's something to do up, gang. But no, I, I think to get, to get to what you're saying, it, it, it does. I mean, like, those are the things, though, that, like, Nick is saying that I really wasn't even thinking about that much, but now once you actually get the chance to see it, I, I believe that it does tell a compelling story and it does keep moving yeah. quickly. You know, I mean, I, I hope that... I don't want to be lost in the story. Right. I, you know, the people that have done the test screenings, I've actually taken them aside and say, just shoot me straight. Tell me if you do if you do or do not like it. Is there anything about it that you're not a fan of? And they've given us tidbits and stuff about it that they think needs changed and we're going to definitely work that in, you know, and, and you have to listen to your audience and be realistic. You know, I'm not Scorsese. You're not... I mean, we're not... You know, we don't have this gigantic budget and we also don't have his mind. You know, we're our own entity. We're filmmakers and we're trying to create a good story. Yeah, I think, too, one of the things that we struggled with as directors, and it's not with each other, but just in general, is finding finding that pacing that flows. And uh, there were times where I just sat Brandon down or he sat me down like this doesn't work yeah and we have to just remove this aspect of the story or we have to put this and there's aspect there's been the times where we both like one of us didn't want to let go and there's there's times where i'm like no I, I it has to be in there we have to do it we have to do it but like you said you have to work together and, and i mean we ended up shooting what six pickup shots something like that five or six well we reshot at least 12 pages i think too well not even including the reshoot because we did yeah. a reshoot um, the original stuff that we shot in the very first time we shot just didn't work story-wise once we did the rewrite for yeah. the feature. So we went back and I think we maybe kept 
one quick scene from that. Yeah, just and then, just one. Yeah, and it was maybe 30 seconds long. Going back and looking at it, the reshoot was worth every single penny spent because it, it really does sell the film. And, and again, like Nick said, pacing, you guys. I don't think some people realize that, uh, you know, who may not work in film as much or, you know, ha only see things from, you know, when they're going to, from, you know, as an audience member, that how much, like certain jobs do on set like especially ad's uh, you know kevin hania i mean he's he's in charge of safety he's in charge of organization oh, yeah. he's in charge yeah. of every all these different little aspects it's unbelievable um uh, mm -hmm. and the one thing too and kevin was great with this and you and tim both were is okay we've set this tone in this scene we shot it four months ago now yeah. this is like brandon's character walking through the to the next scene how do we match that lighting? Because these rooms are side by side. That's um, crazy. I mean, I, I Tim, Tim was great for keeping all of that organized. He's like, well, we oh, actually yeah. use blue lighting coming through here. I was like, yeah. okay, so then we got to have a we had a little spot of blue here, and then we go to all of those things came together, and I yeah. think it was kudos to those people involved that were able to do that because I know in my head I had it. Yeah. But then that whole idea of you're on set, I'm acting and I'm directing at the same time. It's this weird balance that you're trying to find. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean it was it's crazy. It's just like I said, it's just been surreal. I mean it's like it's the chance to make a movie with some of your closest friends, and like getting to visit some of the places that we have. We've gone places that I never expected it to work out that way. You know, Nick was the one that contacted the Moundsville State Prison in West Virginia and. He's like, hey, they're film friendly. Like, let's go take a tour. We yeah, they told me they're like, we're film friendly, and four of us went down and uh -huh. did a tour and got freaked out. That's it's haunted. yeah, it's it, very, it's, it's very creepy. Yeah, if you are a camera person, you want something that's simple and quick to set up. If you're the director, you probably want something that's out of insanely impossible. So. Yeah. That's usually the mentality that goes on on set. It's it's that mentality anywhere. I mean, yeah, you have your crew to keep keep your ground reality. The director who's had needs to really be yeah thinking as ambitiously and, as possible. Yeah, like that's yeah. that's a person that's going really, above and beyond. Yeah, that's that person needs to drive the crew. But everyone's yeah. crew needs to be realistic and think, okay, maybe we can't do a uh, flying three sixty. Um, but uh, the way that it was shot was uh, really awesome. We used a steady cam. If you're not familiar with what a steady cam is, it's pretty much a camera that's kind of like you're strapped to it, pretty much. Uh, and to help it, as the name implies, keep it steady. Um, do you work with good steady cams yeah, a lot? A, a so little you, bit, yeah. I've, okay. I have. So you know how the, the, the yeah, physics and mechanics of it all works. It's, it's basically, right? Yeah, it's entirely a. Basically, mechanical piece. You have, you have study cams. You have gimbals now are very popular. Also, oh yeah, gimbals yeah. are electronic. It's like a three-axis motor. That's everything's working to keep everything stable. Where study cams, I mean, they those go back since the seventy. I think seventy-one was the first time a study cam was used. Maybe oh really? Seventy-five. Was it five? Uh, I know what you used in Rocky. There was a movie yeah. before that. Uh, I forget the name of the movie, but yeah. it's the one with uh, David Carradine, and he's like a folk singer. And it's folk they start off in a crane, the crane comes, comes down, and instead he came up and then and walks like off. it's like a train yeah. sort of thing. And then the oh. crane comes down, and he walks yeah. off of it, and totally like, blew everybody's minds. Like, how did you do that yeah. shot? That's that's how it is. Rocky was the and, second one. Been and going that up camera this operator, I, can't, I wish I remembered his name. I should never Brown. Yeah, so he invented it to basically do that and everyone realized it was so like 
why not just keep doing this? It's mobile. Uh, but yeah, it basically just utilizes gravity and physics to, to keep the center of gravity from falling from outside and it just pulls it down. Really cool stuff. You don't have to worry about batteries. That's nice yeah. about them. The more, more electronics you have, the more things, kind of more gremlins you have to deal with. Yeah, you have to get those big battery packs, have everything strapped to. Uh, yeah, there's just, just electrical gremlins always happen. The more electro electronics you have, the more issues you just think, what the hell? I have to keep hitting this thing, just keep slapping it till it works. Just and slap it does. It, it, does. it works. Uh, it's the shining when you're when the the kid is like riding on the bike through the the overbooked right. hotel, and then he turns a corner, and then there's the two creepy twins. That's steady can. Ah, um, nice, very nice. And Goodfellas, which the, the bar scene in Goodfellas, yeah. which was which was this was a homage to. And Buggy Nights was a very similar scene that what uh, Goodfellas did. They did something very similar a few years later. Oh, really? Yeah, it basically was like a roller rink. Maybe okay. A roller rink. I don't think I've seen Boogie Nights. It's very, very good fellas. Like they probably uh, called okay. it the good fellas shot at that point. Yeah. Honest, yeah. <laughs> um, it gives the, your camera kind of a weightless quality. I was a director of photography, but I wasn't actually operating the Steadicam yeah, in those shots. Yeah. yeah. So it's an art into itself. I mean, it's not just pointing, a, like pointing a cam, like composing the shot at that point. You get to like, it's, it's almost like a full body workout almost. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, your entire body kind of, like, operates it at that point. I know, so. it's like Angela was saying, like, it doesn't do certain things well, so you kind of have to set the shot up. It takes a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, this is Moundsville Penitentiary, which is yeah. in yeah. West there Virginia. There wasn't as, lot of, a lot of, as many cues because we were just doing a pan across the, uh, the prison cells yeah. pretty much. And also, was, focus was... It wasn't less critical. Focus is always critical, but... The plane of focus doesn't change that, enti that entire shot right. at the prison because it's it's a basically a tracking shot. Yeah, and the plane of focus is always equal distance from the camera at any point in time. Where oh yeah, when you're walking forward, your plane of focus changes like exponentially quickly the entire oh, time. Oh yeah, so yeah, you're, that's, you're that has definitely to be makes it makes it more difficult. Yeah, it was, we definitely. I mean, you know, the credits in the film they'll say you know specific jobs that we did. But we really all wore multiple hats on this production. Definitely. So it wasn't just you know limited to whatever we're credited as. Call sheets are like an art form that you just cannot do without. If you know yeah. someone can do a call sheet, it's like you need that. So it's your main form call sheets are like 99% of the work on on a film. Yeah, but I mean, that's. <laughs> Yep. That is the main form of communication and yeah, tying the crew together. Like literally, if you don't have a good call sheet, the crew like just falls apart before it even starts. That's that's the glue that, that helps the, the day yeah. actually even happen. So, Kevin, what is your favorite part about doing call sheets? <laughs> is it is it the part where you put things on the call sheet? It's gonna be profound right here. Uh, call sheets. Tell us about call sheets, Kevin. <laughs> oh, well, all right. Uh, this is interesting. Right. You, you, Nick will send me, this is what we're shooting. You have to then take the script and you sort of turn it into a piece of modernist art. You have like different markers and this is an actor and this is basically, this is everything you need. Okay. And then it's sort of like you make a list. And then you say, Nick, this is what everything we need. Is everything we're going to need there? Yes or no? Or we don't need this. Usually Nick's like, oh, don't worry about A, B, C, and D. We got E covered. So, and then you just, I don't know, you make a giant spreadsheet out of it. And then, cool. you, and then you proofread it. 
and hope you didn't, what didn't happen the one day when Dave major the call sheet. Everybody had to be here at 9 a.m. for reasons that I don't know. He, I put his call time at 11. <laughs> Luckily, he like noticed that it was 9 a.m. and didn't show up at 11. <laughs> Oh, that's I, uh, I was like, hey, Nick, how do you feel about shooting a silent film? <laughs> you must have been too pleased about that idea, as you can imagine. Uh, why not? Yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. Worked out. So what was your interesting part? I, I know, call sheets, there. <coughs> you, 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 you guys get the more sexier jobs, don't yeah. you? Yeah, the sexier like, jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, made I mean, a chicks few, love uh, the camera guys, right? Like, <laughs> I, I made a few projects in my life, and I feel like AD is the unsexiest job because you don't get the credit that an AD like yeah. ADs don't get credit for what they should ADs. AD is the toughest job on set in my opinion of things I've done in my entire life the hardest shoots I've ever had I was AD on I just think it you have to have such a bird's eye view and details you're the person that's making sure those details yeah. are if they're not being handled you're figuring out how it can be handled and who can handle it at that point and, and uh, Ke oh. Kevin's not going to admit this, but he was probably the hardest working person yeah. on this production. Oh, oh yeah. I don't know. You schlepping all that uh, equipment around. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> oh. uh, <what's laughs> there's, there's a huge difference between physical and, and just, just details to me. Yeah, the details. To me, I, I, will, I will do 70, 80 hours of physical, like yeah. just grip work a week. And, yeah, that, just... and I'll be less tired than I do if I do 40, 50 hours of like, Eding and producing and detail and yeah. things—it's so much, so much more stressful. There's and, and taxing. Yeah, there's a difference between being physically tired and then being mentally tired. Yeah, yeah. Like We're filming the same location as Netflix's Mindhunter. Yeah. yeah. At so, the same exact time. So I mean, they weren't like. They weren't there that day that we were there. But. No, but they... Like, Fincher didn't come in and say, like, oh, maybe you should try this one. <laughs> you just hey, can like you guys shared... keep it down? We're yeah. trying to shoot over here. Yeah. We, we walked in the bathroom. He was in the stall next to us. Not, <laughs> oh, what's up, Fincher? Like so we're... The, yeah, Finch. so we're... Finchy. Finchy. <laughs> so we're here. This was the block we were shooting in. And then, like, it was literally the next block over yeah. was the Mindhunter set. A very large range of, uh, you know types of sets that we shot on. Some of them were actual real locations, and some of them were, you know, made in someone's basement. So, <laughs> or in someone's garage. We could do a drinking game. Every, every time someone thinks it's in the basement, they drink. Every time they're wrong, they get to drink again. Yeah, some of those lenses, the camera, camera's lenses, they, they are very, very uh, expensive. And as a reminder, you don't need, you know, I mean, you don't, you don't, you probably don't need tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment to make a movie because we definitely did not have the most expensive camera gear to. I feel like it's equalized out. Like back when it was filmed and it was like 16 millimeter, like Blair Witch Project, you could tell an obvious difference between yeah. now it seems like. If you guys have the skills, you guys, the equipment is to the point where you could almost pass it off as being. Yeah. A, I mean, uh, there's there's still going to be obvious differences. I mean, there there are certain features, you know, in cinema cameras that, you know, a DSLR obviously isn't going to have. Right. But, you know, we sh we shot all 
I think pretty much the entire thing on a, uh, a Canon EOS 6D. So that. Uh, I mean the the speed that we had to go too. I mean, if we went any bigger, just imagine if you had something that was like 25 pounds you had to carry. From, yeah, you know, from shot to shot, you get set up fast. I mean, oh yeah, we we're doing. Yeah, I that, think we we're doing like twenty-five shots a day on average, probably. Yeah, I, I did a forty-eight with the what is it? Sony F sixty-five. It was crazy. I don't know how this guy like literally he couldn't do certain moves the director asked for because it was just so a beast of a machine. Yeah, have you ever used yeah. one of those? Like this? Yeah, I've not used. No, no. I think it was an F sixty-five. They're, they're a pretty big, big camera. I mean, you need support. You need to have a lot of support behind it. In the Avengers, there's not the whole movie, but there are certain shots where like explosions went off, or they didn't want to put high-end cameras where they yeah. used like your camera, basically. Oh, really? For like just random street yeah, stuff. I, I mean, know. it's not the whole movie, but so like yeah. yeah. I mean, I know like Hollywood, a lot of some Hollywood director of photography that say they'll use like Canon 1DCs as like crash cams because they don't want to risk putting Aria Red Red out there, so they'll end up using the SLRs and just. For things that are high risk from like they're still using similar, similar so, technology we're using so we shot this on a camera that there are certain shots in the avengers were used with our camera <laughs> so yeah it can be done you know you can shoot a feature film on a dslr if you you're telling a story where you want to be talking you know doing high impact avenger style scenes but you don't have 50 million dollars of budget then you have to then think how do I, what really matters in this story? Like, what does the story really say? Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty much what I'm what? trying to say. Like, the story is not asking for these superhero and superhero battle for two hours. There's an orgy of superheroes fighting. Like, Maybe. that's not what it's about. I you mean, know? there are productions that, where you get on and you don't get along with, you know, certain people and they can just, like, you know, bring it all down, pretty much. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter how much experience you might have you know, or how experienced everyone is on set, you know, if these guys are all professionals and they do this for a living, you know, if they all hate each other, it's it's definitely gonna create a very terrible work environment and it's gonna probably result in a terrible uh, product from that environment. Yeah, so. you, hear, you always hear movies that have issues, you watch movies and you're like, I see why they. I see that they uh -huh. had crew issues. I can kind yeah. of see it coming across on the screen right now. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So, definitely, you know, find find the crew. If you're making a film, find that crew that you can, you know, you can bond with on set, and you know that can understand your ideas to bring to life and to, uh, you know, even if it's just a, a group of friends, even if you guys have like no experience. You know, if, it, if but if if you have ideas that you want to bring to life, you know, that's it's, it shouldn't stop you from, you know, making a movie. Well, let me reverse this then, and let me ask you a question. Working with us as actors and actresses, like, what was, what was one of your favorite parts of out of, out of the movie? Like, as far as working with actors and actresses, and like, and filming us. Um. Oh jeez! Totally flipping script on you. I know yeah, yeah. Put, put me on the spot here. Um, I mean, I guess it would just be to like see you guys perform. I mean, to, to see how you, you know, take what is on the script and bring it to life. 
you know, because everyone has their own way of doing it. Everyone has their own way of preparing for a scene. Everyone has, you know. Poor God, preparing. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of, yeah. The, well, you remember that. Preparing. And we, we made poor Hania. He was losing his mind at times. <laughs> He'd come up to Nick and be like, oh, listen, Brandon, or, well, actually, it was, Brett doesn't know his lines. So, uh, what, sh what should we yeah. do? And Nick's like, no, no, that's fine. That's just what we. Yeah, that's, that's Brett. That's how we roll. Brett, it, we're Brett. Brett probably did like 90% of it, like. Off the cuff. Off the cuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of did his own thing, and, you know, it was fine for his character. You know, it just kind of worked out. But, yeah, it's, it's, so it was really cool to see, you know, the way that Brett works or the way that uh, you guys worked. I mean, I mean, everyone has their own method of preparing for a role. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Well, go ahead, sorry. I remember the first day we shot, um, we did my section and then after we were done with that they're like okay get ready because we're going to shoot another part of your scene and I was like wait wait what like and I had lines like actual lines I didn't have to like you know moan and yeah. groan because I was in pain it was more lines and I was like wait <laughs> I have to memorize this stuff in five minutes they're like yep we're, we're starting in five minutes and I was like shit <laughs> so yeah. yeah so not prepared you know but, but I, uh, I made it work yeah yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of like the job of the actor is right. being able to kind of make, make it work. Yeah. And right, and there was a lot of times on our sets that you you don't know as an actor like how to act or react to a scene until you place yourself into that scene. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I, I feel like goes a long way. I, I, I was not a part of some of the, the scenes that you were you were in, but like I think that when I would walk into a certain scenario or a certain situation, again there's lights all around you and lights going, you know it's it's when you think about that character and you think about all that, like I, I would I would do lines over and over again with, with Brett and Nick and it would never click until I'm under the lights and in front of the camera. Yeah. 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 There's no, there was no getting into that character, um, like there was when you're actually in the scene. Um, and again, a lot of people might watch this podcast after the fact, but I feel that there were parts at the end of the film that those parts I didn't see myself getting into character until I'm in that actual scenario that you guys all lit and put together. But that's, you, yeah. have to, you, you can't think about it when you're there you just gotta do it you can't think you just gotta do it yeah so but like in beforehand you gotta, when you're preparing like you're thinking okay look how am i gonna do this how am i gonna do that you know how am i gonna improvise this and then when you're in those lights that's when it just that the magic happens. yeah you gotta be what's you know what you're meant to be right on, exactly on i feel like too with with filmmaking i would imagine that that's I haven't done a lot of auditions. Nick would know this way better than I would, but auditions got to be tough because you have to think of yourself in that situation. For us, I it was it was when we walked in on set that's whenever I could put it on. You know, like we would be laughing, having a good time, and then boom! As soon as we walk in on set, it's a completely different story. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's that that is that is the the beauty though of filmmaking. I think it's it's really really cool to put yourself in that scenario and situation. We did no, we had a great time on all of our sets. I do feel like I feel like there was a lot of great times to like laugh and have fun and and I made so many good friends like through this movie um, and bringing people in and like watching you guys work and do what you do. It you you all 
have an amazing craft as, as Pittsburgh filmmakers, or filmmakers, I should say, not just Pittsburgh. But it, it was it was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. That That's the way a film set should be. I understand yeah. that film sets are very, sometimes they're, they're, there's a lot of moments where you... Want to kill somebody? Yeah, you yeah. want to you know, well, like in your movie, you want to kill someone. Yeah, the, the chemistry is definitely present within the movie. You know, everything that happened behind scenes is a everything that happens in front of the screen is a reflection of what happened behind the scenes. Um, it's almost like we didn't even make a horror film, though. That's how fun <laughs> it was. Yeah, like everybody yeah, just it, had so because, much fun because it's it's. You know, everything that you, also everything that you see on screen is complete opposite of, like, the mood. The mood is the complete opposite of, like, what happens behind the scenes. Oh, because yeah. we were all, you know, we were all just having a good time, having having some laughs, oh, and just yeah. enjoying ourselves while we yeah. were making this. I'll, I'll yeah. tell you what, that that was probably the hardest thing, is that there were some very emotional scenes in the film. Mm. Um, and getting into character, when you walk you know, from behind the scenes and then in front of the camera. The hardest part is taking yourself from that element of like, you know, being cheery, having a good time to like complete sadness right in front of that camera. Yeah. That was something that literally, and then this is not a joke, Fireball helped me do it. You know, Nick, Nick literally as a director sat me down and talked to me and said like, I need you to be this kind of character. And I'm gonna let you take these headphones. I need you to listen to this music. Um, yeah. And I was like, I, I need a couple shots and just get myself to that point where like you you, you draw work. in that sadness. Yeah, you and it's work yourself to tears. You do, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And on our set, we had, I mean, there was points where we had 15 people behind cameras that I literally was goofing around with, and that's that might be my my. One of my faults is that I love to goof around with people and have a good time. Oh, well. And then I walk in, on, 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 in front of the camera and I have to be a completely different person. Um, but again, that's acting. But that's, yeah, that's, that yeah. is the, the majesty, the, the magic of acting is that you are able to do that. And kudos to you guys for you know, doing it so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. well I appreciate that, yeah. yeah. I, I, so. I do, I think, I, I hope that in the end, um, Although yes, we we all it was it was like hanging out with your friends and making a movie, which again that was like yeah. the Adam Sandler joke or whatever is that he would always have his friends on set. Yeah. But like I, I do believe that we've made a good movie up to this point. We've had a great time doing it, which a lot of times filmmaking isn't that way. Right. You know? Right. Sometimes it's all the people that you work with, though. True. You know what I mean? So it's like like you said, you make friends, and the only person that I knew out of this whole thing in the beginning was. Brandon and then like I met Nick um, and you know a couple of the other guys at the gym but then when I came on on that first that first set that I did that's when I got to know everybody and, yeah. there, and it actually was more like like a family like that you know what I mean mm-hmm. like everybody's just so yeah. chill and cool and, and accepting and, and and inviting and yeah and everything and, I, and that's what makes it it makes it easier to to be on camera that way too to where you're laughing and having a good time and then all of a sudden you got to be like like drawn into that character and that's you know but it's it's easier when you're around people that you're comfortable with oh absolutely um you know and i i emphasize this before and i'll emphasize it again i mean if the chemistry is not there on set it is represented within the film you know you you know even if you're just like making like if you're starting out and making your first film and um 
I didn't say, I didn't mention this on my, on this podcast, or this podcast at all. When you're, if, like, even if it's just you and a group of friends that are just making a, you know, maybe if you don't even have any experience at all, but you have an idea, I mean, if you're, you know, you all get along, you have, you all have, you know, you all bond, you know, that's going to make for good chemistry when you're making this. I mean, it doesn't matter what equipment you have, you know, how much experience you have, you know, if the chemistry, you know, if the chemistry's not there, it's not going to make a, a good film. I mean, even if you have all this expensive equipment and you're a bunch of professionals, we can't get along with each other. It's not going to work. Right. So. Right. It, it, we gel perfectly as a, as, a, as, a, as a group of filmmakers. I shouldn't, I don't want to ever put, you know, Jenna's not just an actress. I'm not just an actor. I'm, you know, right. you're, you're not just right. a director of photography. We're all filmmakers here. Yeah. And we, we, we love what we do and we love being a part of this whole process. Um, I've had people ask me a couple of times, like, oh, are you going to be, are you this big wig producer or whatever? Like, I'm like, no, not at all. Like, I'm, I'm the farthest thing from it. In fact, I probably have less production value to a team than anybody because you guys are truly the magic makers of making this film happen. I, Steve, without you, we don't have your camera. Without you, we don't have your lights. Without you, I don't have the opening of my film. Like, there are all of those things yeah. that go into it that, that make a, a movie happen. It was a fun, it was fun in the beginning and fun my last day of shooting. I mean, that nobody changes as a person, but the fact that I don't know, it was, I mean, it, it progressed a lot as to the, um, the professionalism. You know, it's, it, you learn a lot about a person whenever you're working with them. So you learn about like their funny quirks, but then you learn about the seriousness about it too. So, um, I mean, in the beginning and then the, the last time I shot, like I, I had to be serious. There was no, there was no, funniness to my character so I mean for me I don't know it's for me I kind of had to stay the same <laughs> but everybody else I mean like it, it just I mean, it progressed a lot as opposed to the professionalism of it yeah so. I do I feel like we, we as filmmakers grew a lot mm -hmm. yeah big time oh, definitely. in three in three years of, of filming um, we learned I mean, how to work with each other, like it was, like I said, by the end, I, and I've said this on a couple of interviews now, we were a well-oiled machine by the end yeah, of this. Right. The first day of shooting, it was all brand new to most of us. See, I can say, being on set for major films, because I was on Southpaw, mm -hmm. and then I did Concussion, but, what, but when you're just an extra from that, like, for a feature, like for a big feature film like that, and and then I kind of look back to that, and then I look back to to, to this film. I felt like this was more, it was more like fast paced. It wasn't like okay, you stand around and wait, you stand around and wait. No, you you shot, you shot, you kept doing it, you kept doing it till the directors thought it was perfect, and like okay, nope, keep doing it, nope, go back, do it again. When you're on a on a on a, the, the major films, it was more like okay, you stand around and wait, and then they wait for the actors, and then they wait for this person, and they wait for that person. Then you're you're literally like taking an hour just waiting. But when I worked with you guys, it was like okay, let's do it, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. And that's what I like. That's what I loved about it because yeah, we, you're not standing around and waiting. Like you're actually you're working, you know, and, and you're working hard. It's not like you're just. Yeah, I believe that a lot of that comes from the fact that we were on a low budget. 
I mean, an extreme low budget at that. Um, yeah. We, time, time was precious. Time right. was money. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like get in there, get your parts shot, and you know, you no. were, you were renting out these places so that we could only use them for a certain amount right. of time. So right. like, we had to get in there and get get what we needed. Jenna's scenes that she had, there was there were several intense moments that it wasn't just her. It was special effects, like everything, like, and that goes to Rachel, who who did some of the special effects the first day of shooting. Um, yeah, you, you have to believe in them, and you have to believe that they're gonna they're gonna take care of you and do what's right. Out of everything that I edited, I really feel like there was minimal. Like everybody's like, oh, there's gonna be so many behind the scenes or like you know mess ups and stuff. There wasn't that many. There are some, yes. Don't get me wrong, but there's minimal. We had we would take five to six takes of something. One of them, there was like, you know, the, the goofing around joke mess up scene, but you have five great takes in a row, you know, and that, that I think is, I commend my, my crew and for their efforts, because that, that's what makes it, you know, go so smooth and make you literally go straight to work and there's no sitting around waiting. Um, there were some moments where we had people that probably had to wait around to do like the restaurant scene and things like that. But I, I do believe that like we were we were understanding of people's time, you know, and, and respectful. You know, I, th I think I do think the word respect is, is big time on, on the stuff that you've shot. Yeah. I worked with Dr. Phil. Um Really? I the Doctor Phil. I worked on the Doctor Phil show. He wasn't on set, but I worked for Doctor Phil's project production. He did a <laughs> uh I got a call and I was just like, hey, we want you to, uh, we need an audio guy. We're in a pinch. We want you to use this old ass sound mixer. We don't want to use your kit and run it. I'm like, well, what is this old ass sound mixer? Sound devices 422. I'm like, what the hell is that? It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, um, I think it's the 442. That... No, it's the 442 or 422 or whatever. But uh, it's this old mixer that doesn't have a screen on it, and it just has a button, bunch of lit, lit up buttons. And they're like, "Oh, we're gonna, we need an audio guy. It's a super easy mixer to use, and we need somebody to come in and go out and work for the Doctor Phil show. We gotta, like, we have to go in. It's an Ohio travel out and location with your camera guy and start making, making, making the show work. So I get to the location in the morning. Luckily, I brought my kit because I was worried. I was like, "Shit, I don't know if I'm gonna how to use this old ass archaic twenty year old mixer." Um, <laughs> I go into the location and the camera guy named Chuck, the meanest guy I've ever met in my life. Oh, really? The prick. He was 75 and he's just like pissed that I was there. He's like, I'm not happy. He basically told me, he's like, I'm not happy that you're here and we have to travel out to Ohio because you have put yourself in a bad situation. You don't know how to use this mixer. I'm like, I got my kit though. It's okay. I'm probably not even going to use the mixer. I'm not going to tell the company I'm using their kit because I just need to, it's just, they're just doing camera audio. I'm just doing a feed to a camera. Once you feed a camera, then your audio actually, it doesn't even matter what you record on the mixer. It's just feeding the camera. So they don't know the difference if you're record using your own kit or their kit. It doesn't, ma it doesn't matter because you're just sending, you're just outputting to the camera and it works. But uh, Chuck was very rude. He basically says, whatever you got to do, get the job done. Do it. Get it. Shut up. I was like, wow, good morning to you, Jackass. And I've been on a, there's a more and more. So I've been on some bigger things, some small things. And a lot of small projects I've been on with really good people. And some people, they think you're like the best thing. are like, oh, you're working for me today. Oh, well, here's me. This is what I do and make it happen. 
And I'll be like, and I'm going to be a douche because you're here because I'm wonderful and I'm not going to pay you anything. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. But yeah, Chuck was rude. He, uh, we drew the car ride all the way up two hours out in the middle of Ohio. Um, uh, Dr. Phil was not there. I was sad, but it was only a three hour day, which was really nice. We only uh, shot for three hours, but we awesome. drove for four hours, but the guy was so stingy, so rude. And he didn't hey. play any music in the car, which really sucked. So I had to listen or not listen to anything. Uh, working in Cleveland for a 21 day movie called An- Anhedonia stars Breckenmeyer and Emily Kinney. Breckenmeyer is road trip and rat race. Emily Kinney is the walking dead, um, girl who played Beth. So I'm stoked to actually be on probably the biggest project I've ever landed in the audio industry mm. for myself so far. Yeah. I'm stoked to be a part of it and it's going to be a 21 day straight film. So it's like a 266 hour week. So I don't know if a lot of people can do that, but I'm going to do it. Oh, hey, it's yeah, you know, it's an opportunity. It's definitely yeah. worth it, um, especially with that kind of. I mean, that is definitely a bigger, like a bigger. Would you say it's more of a bigger indie budget? Oh yeah. So the project has um, it's. I was told that it's it was it has a two hundred fifty thousand dollar budgeted project. Me and Steve normally work on projects that have like twenty thousand and under, and yeah. like that's like still what's weird low um films or low budget films are if it's under a million dollars it's still considered a low indie what me and steve normally work on are something called ultra low indies or passion projects as they're really mainly called <laughs> because is there know. is that the official yeah. terminology for it yeah ultra low ultra low is just like below like way below a million and like we're normally working on ultra low projects, they're ultra like they're passion low. projects. They're ultra. It's called yeah. ultra low. Oh, okay. Because low indie is, um, yeah, under a million, and still like this this project's like under it's a quarter million budget. Almost like damn, this is awesome. I've never been on a project this big. They got we're shooting on a freaking bus and crap, like an actual like transportation bus. It's actually a very simple script. I finished it today, and it's um can't say anything about it, but like um very dialogue heavy okay extremely dialogue heavy well i mean uh, that that's understandable for something that low of a budget you know you got to emphasize yeah at least from my from my personal experience you have to emphasize more on the story this this is a straight up story piece that i landed um it is like from i was it was like when i got 75 pages in it was like there was only like 35 scenes yeah yeah but no that's that's all that's it's gonna be interesting. A lot of lot of dialogue, and I've done a dialogue, a very heavy dialogue script before. Me and Steve got to work on a really fun project called Body Farm. We just kill everyone with blood and guts going everywhere. Yeah. So that was fun. Like I like working on, I like working on projects that have a lot of off script stuff or off. It's like or I guess it's called across the page, like stuff in, like act like action in between the dialogue, like stuff that has a lot of action, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, like crazy stuff. A lot of dialogue stuff means uh, I'm going to get really tired holding a boom really fast. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because <laughs> audio is very important for that. Oh, my God. It's Yeah, it's like it's going to be body mic heaven, relying all about body mics. And then um, I might – I'll probably have a like a, a sound – I asked for a sound PA to hold the boom for me time and time just because there's time where I will definitely have to. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, at least it's not like audio – I mean, would you say audio action shots would be a lot harder to coordinate? It's audio action shots are more so like 
a scratch track if you're doing like say it's like a like a crazy ass sequence with guns i worked on a project um two years ago i worked on a project with uh chris uh nez Belinsky, whatever i can never pronounce his name whatever he's a guy who did uh about. the project called truce which is like a vietnam film and we uh, did a reshoot of a vietnam film two years ago and speaking of like doing audio for gun scenes like yeah it's like it's a little crazy and it's like a boom like it's just easier just have to like it's just like a boom microphone if certain things clip because guns go off well that's fine because you're gonna foley that in later that's yeah really what it yeah is. there's a lot of a lot of things that go on in post-production for that it's I'm like assuming. so post-production heavy and it's just easier dialogue can be tricky just because like you got to get it right yeah you got to get it clean and you got to get it right Absolutely, so that'll be a little stressful adr is not most of the time not great right not a great alternative yeah (laughs) it's not bad you just want to get as clean as you can i've been pretty good with a lot of the projects i've done um very very minimal i've only just i just started i've done like two two adr sessions this year and it's been relatively really really easy um so no it all depends on how you record it on set and my job is to make it as clean as possible and explain to the production what's happening if there is a problem Right. How can we fix it or Right. What are we gonna do in post production to make it better? Right. Communication is key. I understand that. Yeah, it's really about it. I in the industry I would, I do other jobs. I work as a grip a lot. Oh yeah. Um I do a lot of grip work. Uh, I've done stuff in the union for grip and I'll continue to get some days. Hopefully I get hired Mind Hunter season two to do um grip days to get my days into the union. Um, so I'll probably be a union grip before I'm a union sound guy, but, and I've done some camera work in the past shooting yeah. for Brandon Keenan and some other people time to time, or I've done, yeah, I, I don't really shoot as much as I used to. I used to shoot when I was like out of college, I shot, but I just don't focus on it. I wanted to focus just mainly on sound and doing grip work. Um, I know in the past I've talked extensively about body farm, but how was it for you? from a, a sound guy's perspective body farm was cool um when was that that was how many pro, how many years did we work on that one that i like when i came in like whenever three? like they re reevaluated the crew i think it was like three years was it like after, three years ago after that point when they did a sort of reevaluation? yeah i guess i've known him <laughs> for like two and a half years like two two and a half three years ago now okay yeah. but yeah like i uh i think yeah, I think I jumped on the body farm in my first year of freelance, which is probably three years ago now. Yeah, I, I definitely was. And I didn't know what to uh, – I was still hesitant on, like, what I was doing in the industry at the time. But I jumped in, lowballed the hell out of myself rate-wise, and then I, came in. Yeah. And um, and they were, like, they were blown away with some of the stuff. But, you know, I came in with them. I did, like, 18 days total over two years on that film or whatever. I had a blast. Oh, yeah. It was, it was really fun. fun. I learned a lot. I didn't know, like, it was cool. Like, Brandon gave me the shot of being an audio guy. Like, I was I was already in the process of being an audio guy, and I've done a couple things beforehand, but I was still learning. And, like, I, like it's so funny. Like, I like I grew, and my kit grew on that project. It was really funny. Like, um, I came in with just a boom hole and a microphone and a mixer. That's all yeah. I had. Didn't have crap. 
had like very very light gear and went out there and he was always telling me he's just like dave your audio sounds great your audio sounds great i'm like really i have no idea what the hell i'm doing i'm just kind of just putting a microphone <laughs> in someone's face and seeing if it works and like so apparently everybody's liking it i'm like okay cool and then it was so funny like as it project went on my kit grew and i grew and then like he was like when the project came to a close end, like the audio just got so much better yeah how did you get started in audit like uh, just in film in general i should say so i always i want to it was i don't know i always wanted to be in film period my parents knew i wanted to be, i was always dramatic i was thinking about doing acting when i was younger whenever we my parents would take me to disney world when i was younger for family vacations i would go to like the uh indiana jones exhibit with the crazy like the whole like stage thing yeah that, the, the stage the, the stage jones. thing is nuts so it's great the greatest thing in the world Dude, i man. saw that so many times and that kind of like got me in the idea of working in like just just the whole theater thing you know it's even it's funny i've never worked on theater that's basically like a theater presentation yeah i've never have done theater work ever i've never worked on anything theater related but um i always liked that and that's literally whatever and like parents and i was always walk running around doing stupid action like things and being super over dramatic i was i always had the idea that i wanted to do acting um so the original yeah. idea was to be an actor and then whatever and then i finally when i got out of college or when i got when i was in high school i never took any like classes in like like tv or any of that stuff i just didn't know what to do um it was like i knew i'm gonna work and then i but i wanted to learn more music stuff in high school i was like maybe i'll do music stuff but then i started thinking about it. i was like you know what and then i went to college laroche and i took i just got into a film degree i said like all right i'm gonna go to film school i'm gonna cool. do something i didn't it was still in my mind i never knew what i wanted to do so just going for like a just going for a general, general film degree, but I'm going to work in the industry for something. But my mom is very, very religious. And she always told me, she's like, Dave, you're going to like, she's like, God spoke to me at one point and you're going to like, I used to do sound effects when I was whatever. And she says, God spoke to me and you're supposed to work in audio. Like you're going to be like this sound guy. And I'm like, okay. She was always saying like, you're destined to be a sound guy. Like she told me that before i went to college for film so like that's kind of freaky and huh. like she always told me that i was going to be sound guy because jesus and god spoke to her saying that i'm going to do that and that's what's going to be like my career huh. and so i was like all okay right. so and it was funny like i was like okay mom all right destiny <laughs> i don't know <laughs> all right like, whatever yeah, she's a christian like, counselor so she's super religious that's what jesus says that's so what jesus says okay I'll, yeah I'll, okay I'll I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind, basically. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So it's funny. I, I started working, um, just getting in film classes, getting into more stuff. And um, I worked on an indie film. <clears throat> Came in as a PA. Um, and it was funny, actually. The guys that I did it with was Brendan and Zach, who owned Kept Shut Productions at the time. So I okay. worked for this project called The Door Shep Kept Shut. And um, their boom operator supposedly dropped out. And I held a boom pull on this really really low budget short film there you go i thought it was really fun i was kind of good at it i was like but they were telling me like dave john there's this guy named john ganade love him he's funny as hell he's a guy at pit he's just like dave point the boom at the actor's face that's what i remember hearing <laughs> <laughs> and i couldn't do it i couldn't hold the boom like me and this other guy would swap back and forth because we couldn't okay. hold the boom because it was so tiring after i did the little independent film i got called again so the same people who did that movie and they're like hey dave we want you to uh come back and be a boom operator for our next show." i'm like okay great i'd love to do it so i came back and did another project did a little bit more got a little bit more into it got better at it 
And then after that short film ended, then I was asked by um, uh, Jack Davis, who did The Chop. And The Chop was my first mixing job. The Chop, I think I remember The Chop was chop. like that uh, wannabe, it was like a like a low, ultra low indie Fast and the Furious. Okay. I and think that's I the project that. that I, was my first mixing job. And this was like th- three and a half, four years ago. Right. And I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing still. You know what I mean? And um, I jumped, I, I bought a boom pole, which was the NTG3 and like a little seven foot boom. And that's all I had. I just. I just bought a microphone and a boom pole. No mixer, but they had the mixer, and I worked with uh, Ray Mongelli on that project. Ray and Missy Mongelli. And uh, they had all the camera gear, and then they had a little sound mixer. And I used, they were like, I came on the set, and they're like, she's like, oh my God, you have a road. What? We always have these crappy little microphones. And <laughs> they had a boom pole that was made out of a mop. So they made a mop boom pole and awesome. i brought in my like inner coiled boom pole and i used their mixer and that was the job that i learned how to mix and boom and that actually taught me how to be a really good boom operator because i was starting to get better and i was thinking about how to like i learned about the polar rat polar pattern and like the how to control the axis on the microphone accurately without wireless microphones and that's kind of how i did it and then i kept getting asked after that project wrapped I kept getting asked, and I was like, I feel like this is something. So I'm like, I'm also get a mixer. And I bought a bought a mixer, and now I'm like $14,000 down the drain, and now I have a bunch of crap. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's how that's you... That's how it goes. But yeah, yeah that's, that's how I started, and now I'm a uh, full-time freelance sound mixer. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. You, know, you got to start somewhere, and you just got to find what you're good at. Did you ever want to go full-time freelance? I've tried to do full-time freelance, and I wanted to shoot myself, which is why I don't really do it much anymore. Right. It is a. <laughs> it sucks. It's really brutal. Full-time freelance is really yeah. brutal. But I tried to do it for like two or three months, and I just I was terrible at it. I just couldn't get enough jobs. Right. I like. I know. Um. I saw a niche with sound because people kept asking me to do um ultra low indies and i was like okay there's a little thing here and i heard at the time there was only one other guy named guy named chris bell doing it i was like oh so it's just me (laughs) and chris bell this motherfucker oh this guy takes all my freaking jobs (laughs) (laughs) i'm always i'm always uh having some issues with chris but no i love chris bell he's great chris chris is great great. me and him he's gotten me some really big gigs in the past and i've got i always send his name all over the place so we do some good work but we are definitely competing with each other like nonstop. um but you guys seem to be at the top of you know the indie scene in pittsburgh for yeah. sound for sound yeah for sound and i saw that niche so that's why i was like okay i think freelancing is the way to do it and that's i had an in, i had a big internship here in the city um for a film company and that's how i got further in the door past the indie level that's how i got on big um corporation projects and whatnot working with like westinghouse and um big commercials sunkissed um lego oh, really? yeah that's awesome i um I got, I got that got me in the foot my foot in the door I've done big corporates because of them. And then they're like, I was an intern. And then they're like, hey, this is Dave. He's doing audio. And then it sent me to another thing. I've done like oil site audio. Hmm. I like crazy crap. Crazy corporate videos I've gotten on because I was a, um, because what? I had a big internship. I don't know. It's like probably like, I don't really know. Like the craziest crap probably was working on the chop. We did some really stupid crap. 
Oh, really? Um, we, were, we were hanging out of cars, like, holding <laughs> microphones and shit. I'm assuming there wasn't. While we were like, driving, like, 80 miles per hour. I'm assuming this this there wasn't the proper safety precautions. No, 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 no. Not on the chop. We, whatever got the shot and whatever got the audio, we did it. You know what I mean? Jesus. Stupid, stupid crap. Jesus. But it doesn't matter. It, it looked <laughs> cool. <laughs> but uh, I, the, probably the dumbest thing you can do, and I've done it a few times, I just did it on a project called Mulligan, which was this big uh, TV show here in Pittsburgh. It was big on big up like like union but not union project yeah had steve o'paris it was the like the ad of the city working on it like the the ad for films here every project comes here he's like these he's the guy and then they had the freaking guy from mindhunter named brian osmond who shot all of camp it was camera b camera operator on mindhunter okay and i was like how the hell am i the sound mixer to these like legends i'm like cool but i was like to to impress them, the stupidest thing I did was I got in the back of a car, laying down in the trunk, and they were doing a police chase sequence, and I laid in the back of the trunk while they are going about 90 miles per hour around turns. Good Lord. And uh, I mixed their audio perfectly. That's awesome. Hid microphones, but you're not supposed to do that. Don't do that. That's a bad thing to do. You're supposed to put the mixer in the car if you don't have crazy wireless stuff. Put it in the car, set it up, and walk away. <laughs> so yeah. to, and to press record and walk away. The most craziest shoot I ever saw, though, in my career of filmmaking was when I was an intern, and it was a raining money shoot. The company that I interned for rented out 100,000 fake $1 bills called <laughs> movie picture use only money. Yeah, and um, Oh, my God. And uh, we did a political ad. It was Tom Corbett, Tor- Tom Corbett versus Tom Wolf, like, I don't know, like six years ago. And um, we had uh, we went down to the Aspen Wall and we rained money over the s- city of rain. Aspen Wall. We literally made it rain. We had the producers <laughs> screaming, "Money, money!" We were shooting a thing in off speed, which is slow motion. <laughs> And um, we would have, like, realistic shots, and they would cut to slow motion of people looking into the sky, and there'd be hundreds of thousands of dollars of money just flying to the streets. The freaking three days of filming that was super windy, and there was so money was going everywhere, money everywhere, everywhere, flying all over the place, over this local town. Uh, we had to put a reverse 911 call out so that people would not spend these money because it looks super real because after more and more it hit the ground they looked exactly real because they were dirty and gross we oh, literally had no. like there was people on co2 canisters on ladders like 15 feet in the air shooting hundreds and thousands of ones out of their hands with a dremel with this wooden block and shooting into this compressing cannon and then they had a bunch of production assistants on the ground with these giant fans and we were taking there was giant stacks of money it looked like brian cranston's like Breaking Bad, basically. We would just oh, go yeah. into like a box and start picking up money and flicking it like you'd make it rain. Just <laughs> doing that noise. And we and they and then and then the producer was like, We can't cut yet, we're still shooting and they're still shooting in slow motion. So we're running around picking up ones and throwing it into the fans. It was crazy. It was oh. the stupidest, ridiculous thing. I, I remember we blew up, we actually shot like we lost like I think forty thousand ones. They the, they had an idea to return the ones back to the company but it was all fucked up and oh, it was all destroyed and screwed up am you can, i you can say fuck I just okay said, fine i said fuck fuck all right whatever. whatever all the money was going on the freeway and cars are swerving <laughs> just raining money in the sky i wonder if people were like get were people getting out of their cars and i like, think so oh, yeah <laughs> yes oh dude i'm rich dude it was the most ridiculous crap i've ever seen <laughs> i was like are you kidding me 
I thought it was really funny. Yeah, we did a Steelers commercial. Like, people wearing, like, Steelers clothing. Like, we did a... I set up a... I helped set up... I was a grip on that, and I helped set up a uh, beauty pageant. Okay. For, like, a Steelers shirt. With, like, this whole entire beauty pageant. We had a ballerina dancing. We had a freaking, like, symphony playing with people wearing Steelers shirts. It was wacky. We did a wedding. Crazy crap. They do crazy skits. Huh. Fun stuff. That's interesting. I don't know. I kind of wish I moved to Atlanta, though, a while ago. There's a lot of... A lot of talk about people going to Atlanta. Yeah, but do you know the rule if you want to get in the union? Do you know the union rules? What's the union rules? If you want to be a union guy working on a union set, and there's like 300 plus union sets in Atlanta, so there's like booming amount of work, you have to live, in order to join the IOTSE union, you have to live 18 months in that state before you can even write an application oh, really? to get in the union. So that's why I didn't move. So that's why I'm still a Pittsburgh sound guy. So you would have to spend pretty much 18 months doing non-union gigs. Yeah, before you can even apply to put your name in the to uh, put your name on the list, and then you still got to grind and hustle your way in. Man, that's rough. It's like and, two and, and half, I assume it could be two two and a half years. And I assume moving to a new city if you don't have any connections there, that's probably like starting fresh, like starting fresh, literally starting fresh. And that's why I was really hesitant. I have a lot of friends that moved california and this and that but i always wanted to get in the union but that is like how it works and i told actually joe that joe was really has it really wanted to go and move to atlanta and i told him he says i want to join the union and Atlanta was like dude are you aware that you have to have an 18 month year residency and then he's like uh no i'm like look it up <laughs> it's called the local 479 yeah. that's the role yeah he mentioned that to me too so he was pissed when i told him because i re i found him when i was going to a set i was working in december and i saw him walking by and he was just about to crack and i was like i'm like you can't don't move to atlanta unless if you're trying to go in the union because you're not gonna be able to get in right away or you join the union here and then you transfer which you can do oh so that's what you're working towards because mm -hmm. then i can have that option i don't know what the deal is with the transfer when you can transfer once you're in the union in a certain state. Yeah. But you it is a thing that you can do eventually. So Cool. Yeah. No. And that wraps up our sort of best of pearls of wisdom in filmmaking. Um if you liked this, um let me know and I'll try to cut together some more. I have a, a few more. Another one I could probably do in filmmaking. Um, one that I'm trying to put together for music because we've had a lot of people come on to talk about music. Um, so th those are a few ideas I'm tossing around. Um, and uh, I've got some, some more stuff on the, on the way um, as things, like I said, as things start to normalize in the world, um, we'll probably start to get back to normal with, uh, with recording so expect some new content here in the near future hopefully not three months down the road um due to like the various circumstances that have happened um but a lot sooner um i'm not gonna try to stick to any sort of schedule because i've learned that promising anything under a certain schedule never seems to work out for me because that's just how the world works and unfortunately, I have have just way too many things going on and not enough time to do them all. So I'll, I'll, I'll get them out as soon as possible. Just bear with me. If you're really enjoying this, you know, let me know. Give me some feedback. 
you know, follow, follow me on the social medias and, uh, and the like, and, uh, just, uh, you know, let's have a conversation about this and how ways to improve it, ways that you guys can help out with it. I'm always open to hearing anything from, from you guys. Um, you are the reason that I do this, um, as well as, you know, just this passion for anything in the realm of creative media. That's, you know, that's the other half of this. So, you know, I know you guys, if you're watching this, you might share that same passion and I, I'd love to hear from you. So, um, thanks again for watching, for listening. Um, and I will see you again in the future.